So today on the Finance and Property Survival Guide, I wanted to try and sit down with someone that knew a little bit about rent vesting. And I thought the best guy for the job would be Goose McGrath. How are you, sir? And I'm awesome. Nice to see you again. Yeah, yeah, you too. I think last time we saw each other was at a seminar up in Newcastle some time ago, I feel yeah. like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. During that that brief moment in time where we got yeah. to do things in public again, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Yeah, no, it was a it was a live live property event in in Newcastle. Beautiful weather, great place to be. And then, yeah, uh, even that seems like a, a distant distant a memory distant dream, now. Like, right? a- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Totally. Well, like, if anybody uh, who's listening is a hasn't heard of you before, do you want to just give give them a bit of a rundown of who you are and what Dashdot is? Yeah, for sure. Um, so if they don't know who I am, they probably won't know what Dashdot is either, right? So, um. Look, I'm just a guy. I'm a simple guy doing simple stuff. Now, so, um, so me and my partner Gabby started a, a business called Dashdot um, just a few years ago. Um, prior to that, um, so for, for 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 the benefit of the listener, what Dashdot is is a strategic property acquisition company. So we do strategic advisory. Um, I guess for lack of a better term, we're portfolio growth experts. We help people to, to scale property portfolios quickly and, and effectively and, and help people get past the, the two property, the two property gap, which is where most mm. people get stuck. Um, so we can kind of dig into a little bit of that in a minute, but um, not that long ago, I had no idea about property at all. Like I was not a property guy. I haven't, you know, lived my whole life around property or anything like that. A few years ago, uh, I was working hundred hour weeks in a different industry, running a, an event management company and, and was burnt out and mate, life was pretty, life was pretty grim. Like we don't need to go deeply into it, but life was pretty grim back then. And, um, you know, met Gabby, my partner, fell in love, did the whole thing and thought, oh, you know, how are we going to get out of this? You know, how are we going to get out of this life where we just feel like we're just constantly on the hamster wheel and everything like that? And, you know, we'd heard that people made money in real estate and we didn't really know what we were doing. But, you know, as far as we knew, the only thing we really knew, or you know, say knew in inverted commas, thought right. was the property doubled every seven years. So armed with about that much knowledge, we figured you could just buy anything and it just went up and it was all good and no, <laughs> right. no worries. So yeah. um, we successfully bought the wrong property, wrong place, wrong time, lost a bunch of money, which was, uh, which was fantastic. It was the best possible thing ever uh, because that gave us the, the impetus to go, well, hang on a second. How does this work? Like, why do some people make money? Why do some people not? What's the characteristics of a property that would make money? What's the ideal type of investment? Blah, 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 the whole thing. So we went on a, on a bit of a, a rampage in trying to understand that. And we worked out that if you follow three, if you look for three simple things that you're going to get to where you want to go and you're going to be able to do it faster and safer than, than anybody else. And it's pretty simply, it's buying cash flow positive properties. So properties that produce more income than, than they use. So net right. cash flow positive. In high growth areas with value add potential, we thought, look, if you can get all three of those things, that's what we, we you know, that's the holy trinity, which is what we call that now. Um, and then we set about trying to work out, well, if it, you know, because obviously if you could do that, wouldn't everyone want to do it? And then we sort yeah. of said, well, can you build a way to do it, etc. So mm-hmm. then we built a very robust research methodology and and found out that we could identify these types of properties consistently time and time again in various markets, continuously evolving. And uh, and we've since built a business that has helped hundreds of people do exactly that. And yeah, we've built a reputation for being able to get the right properties in the right place at the right time, get outsized growth and help people who want to go faster, uh, generally up to about six times faster than traditional investing. And, and that's how we're helping people. So yeah, right. it's awesome. 
That's awesome. And and something you you sort of touched on at the beginning there was how a lot of people get stuck on two properties. Do you mind yeah. just sort of breaking down that to, to the layman? So obviously property investing is buying a house or a unit or whatever it is to try and make money off of the rental income. That's sort of one of the plans. Would that be sort of yeah, what you would it's say? It's probably a little deeper than that, I'd say. Right. Like I, I think, so let me put some let, let me put some bumper rails on that. So firstly, I don't think most people understand why they're investing in property at all. Right. Like most people don't understand it. They don't even understand, are they investing for growth? Are they investing for cash flow? That I don't, I genuinely don't believe that the majority of property investors actually understand what they are trying to achieve mm. by investing in, in real estate but they invest in real estate because that's what you do, right? Like you yeah, just okay. like, isn't that how you sort of get ahead? Um, and most people, unfortunately, most that's, that's the level of knowledge that most people have. And, and that's not to, that's not to degrade anyone that doesn't know. It's actually just to state the facts. And that's actually one of the things that I'm most passionate about is trying to help people because there's a lot more to it. Because if you don't know much about real estate, it's probably, you probably think it's slow, boring, expensive. Most people don't realize you can get properties that are cash flow positive. So, you, you know, you kind of get stuck in this whole idea of negative gearing, et cetera. But even that's probably a little bit more complex than most people understand. But very simple terms, yes, real estate investing is investing in real assets. So mm. it's typically called real estate. Right. And real assets, which you will obtain a benefit from capital growth and or cash flow. Um, and that's the general premise. Now, how you then take that knowledge and apply it is what separates the the winners from the from the also rans. You know, now the the statistics are uh, uh, easy to find. Just look up the ABS stats. This isn't made up or anything like that. But roughly around about ninety, uh, sorry, roughly about seventy five percent of um, property investors never get past one investment property, right? Uh, ninety somewhere between 93 and 95% of property investors never get past two. Okay. So you might be sitting there thinking two investment properties. That sounds pretty sweet. Mm. That's awesome. Right. Wouldn't that be cool? And don't get me wrong. That's awesome. And if you're yeah. in an affluent enough position, if you can elevate yourself within our, you know, global society to be able to achieve that, then hats off to you. You're a winner and congratulations and well done. You're in the top, fractional of a percent of of wealthiest people in the world so you should be really proud of yourself but here's the big problem the big problem is that most people who want to invest i've had the benefit of speaking to thousands of property investors over the last few years uh i've never met a single person actually that's not true is it I'd say 99% of people want to invest in real estate because they want to be able to retire earlier. They want to be able to live a better life. And what that means for different people is they might be able to, might want to travel, might want to spend more time with the family, might want to not have to go to that shitty job that they don't like and yeah. all of that kind of stuff. Everyone's got different reasons, but they all kind of want the same thing. They want to be able to get their time back, right? Now, that's great. And real estate can definitely help you do that. Uh, and for the benefit of those keeping score at home, the 1% of people who aren't doing it for that, are the people that are doing it for from a legacy perspective, where they're like, where they're not concerned about retiring early or um, setting themselves up, they're looking to set up a, a like a, uh, an estate planning, like a legacy type thing. There are some people like that, but the vast majority, it's about how do I retire sooner so I can live life on my own terms? Okay. So the prevailing wisdom says that in order to do that, once you do the maths on it, you probably 
need about five properties, mm. not two, not yeah, one. Okay. <laughs> right. And, but the problem is that, you know, as, as we've said, you know, like not, let's call it 95% of property investors never get past two. And the reason for that is that they don't know what they're doing and they buy the wrong properties in the wrong place at the wrong time. They don't understand how to, um, what is going to be required to be able to push them through that barrier and what's on the other side of that barrier because it gets a hell of a lot easier actually when you get on the other side of that barrier and you're able to get to that kind of goal of five or more properties much, much faster because what typically happens is people will buy, you know, one or two investment properties. They're probably going to be negatively geared, which means that it's sucking money out of their pockets every mm. week because there's a shortfall in the mortgage and all of yeah. this kind of stuff. And it's costing them money day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out. And they just can't afford to buy any more properties. They chew up all their borrowing capacity. And also they often they often buy a principal place of residence, you know, like they buy a family home, which is totally cool, right? Mm. But that's also non-income producing debt. So what that means is you get a big loan to pay for your home, but there's no no revenue or income being derived from that property because you live there, right? Pretty simply. Yeah. So you can't charge typically... rent to like your wife and kids. <laughs> well, yeah, you can. <laughs> you could you, if you, you wanted. You can. You, you can, but you know, like it's still money's still got to come from somewhere, 100%. right? Like, yeah, yeah. So, so the 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 kind of the the big problem, right, is that everyone gets stuck. They get stuck. They they don't have enough cash. They can't afford they can't afford to buy another property, not because number one, they can't save up, but also they can't afford more of a cash flow negative, you know, impact week in, week out. Mm -hmm. stuff. So it doesn't work. And so the net result is that, you know, that whole process for people often takes, you know, they'll hold these properties for 20, 30 years, hoping, crossing their fingers that they've done what they need to do in order to achieve a better life and all of that kind of stuff. And the really sad thing is they get to the retirement age, don't get me wrong, They'll definitely be better off than, than if they didn't invest in any property. Absolutely. For sure. Categorically, certainly. But they won't achieve the goal they set out to achieve. And I think that's a real shame. And I think it's a real shame. And I think it's a real shame because it's way easier to achieve that goal than most people realize. And that's that's really what I'm passionate about. It's helping people crack through that. I really believe that we have an opportunity to transform people's lives. And that's what that's that's what motivates us and drives us every day. For sure. That's awesome. And, and so I guess we'll, we'll, we'll go on to rent vesting from there. So that's, there's obviously different ways and methods that you can go about uh, property investing. And you sort of spoke about it there. People might have one or two or, or more, and then they might also have their own house that they live in that they're not making any money off of, or they're not collecting a rental income for. Right. Yeah. So um, rent vesting is an, a whole nother option that I feel like became a real buzzword over the last year. It may have been a lot bigger before then. You can you can sort of chime in on that too. Um, so yeah. do you want to just start with what rent vesting is, why it's become such a popular concept? Yeah, totally. So I, I think it's probably it's probably just let's back it up just a little bit, right? Because rent vesting isn't necessarily a property investment strategy. It's a finance management strategy, right? It's a right. big, big difference, okay? So you can correlate the two things. Like you can say that people who rent vest are more likely to be able to buy more properties faster. And um, there's an association in the word rent vesting, which we'll dig into in a little minute. Um, but I think it's, yeah, I think it's probably just to, just to kind of break that apart a little bit that it's not specifically a property investing strategy. It's more about, 
it's more of a, a speed and happiness strategy is probably what right. I would call it, right? So in very simple terms, like, you know, rent vesting is it's smashed together. It's two words, renting and investing. So where a lot of people go wrong with, uh, with real estate is they buy a principal place of residence. So it's what we call a family home, a PPR, principal place of residence. So they buy a PPR to live in. And then they try and invest with the spare cash they've got, right? Which may not be very much, right? Yeah. <laughs> Particularly if you're living in a place like Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the problem, the problem with that is, you know, you don't have much surplus cash left over and it's going to slow down and you've got a bunch of non-income producing debt with your principal place of residence. Now, a very, a much, a much better way to do it or objectively better depending on what your emotional needs and um, all of that kind of stuff are. Because I want to be super clear in this that, there are a lot of pros to rent vesting, but there are some cons, right? And yeah. for some people, it's really important to buy a family home first. And that's that's really high on their values. And sure. absolutely, if that's high on your values, then, then do it, nail it. Just what I would suggest is just make sure you understand the decision that you're making so that you can make sure you're making the right one. So the opposite of sort of that that I just spoke about, buy a principal place of residence, try and invest with the cash you've got left over, is to rent where you want to live, right? And invest where your money is going to work hardest for you. Because there's often uh, there's often another issue with the, with the first strategy. We'll call that strategy A versus strategy B, rent vesting. So strategy A as well, you're usually confined to two things. What is the best place you can afford in the place closest to where you would like to live? Now, what that mm. can end up equaling is a double negative, right? Because you might not be able to afford the place you want. So you can afford the place you can get. And you also might not be able to get be where you want to be, but you can get kind of near it, maybe sort of thing, right? And so you can end up with the worst of both worlds. You can end up with the place that you don't really want to live in, in the place that you don't really want to live. Um, And, you know, and then also you go a lot slower and you can't grow your wealth as uh, grow your wealth quickly, right? So there's there's a few problems with it. So I'll put the, I'll give I'll make I'll put this in really simple terms, like because it's probably easiest to 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 kind of give it some color and some shape, right? So I currently live in Bondi Beach, you know, technically North Bondi actually, right? Which is an interesting distinction. I'll come back to that. So me and my partner Gabby, we rent an apartment in Bondi. Now we rent that apartment for like four hundred bucks a week, two bedroom apartment where you know ten minutes walk from the beach. Um, lifestyle absolutely suits us uh, and it's awesome, right? Now, if we were to buy the same apartment, it would probably be worth about a million bucks. Now, if we were to, if we were to um, get a mortgage on a principal place of residence apartment for a million bucks, it's probably going to cost us about 850 bucks a week in repayments. Right. Versus the, the 400 bucks a week we're, we're spending now. Yeah, okay. Okay. And so, that, so what? So there's also another impact on that is that not only in one version do we have four hundred and fifty dollars of spare cash laying around every week, right? But in the version where we bought the one million dollar principal place of residence and we've we've got the additional debt, that's also going to negatively impact our borrowing capacity. So even if we could afford it, it would reduce our borrowing capacity, and that would inhibit us from being able to go and buy another investment property. That is potentially going to make us positive cash flow, right? And so, can I chime in real quick just so I get what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. So, so you're saying too because if you were if you would 
owning if you had bought the the bondi apartment yeah the amount of money that's going to the mortgage each week would take away from your borrowing capacity as a result because you've got more money that you have to put into that that house rather than paying rent which is $400 cheaper correct Okay. It's a little bit deeper than that. It's not purely right. just that it's, it's, it's kind of tied to it, but mm. let's say, let's say you've got $2 million of borrowing capacity, right? Let's just say that you, and let's just say you've got a partner. Let's say it's like me and Gabby. Let's say we've got $2 million of borrowing capacity. And then let's just say that on the million dollar property, we put in 20% deposit. I'm oversimplifying it because there's purchasing yeah. costs, et cetera. Right. So let's say we put in $200,000, we're then going to use up $800,000 of our borrowing capacity. Now that's not going to be, that's going to be non-income producing debt, which means we'll just carry that debt. And it means our total $2 million is then reduced to 1.2. Vice versa, if you've got a million dollars borrowing capacity, which is kind of like, I've got to say, it's around about most families and stuff, around about a million bucks, right? Uh, then potentially that's the only property you're going to be able to buy. Right, because you won't have any borrowing capacity left over, or not enough to make a meaningful uh, investment outside of that. So it's not just the cash component; it's actually the impact on your ability from the bank's perspective to be able to go and borrow more money. Okay, does that kind of make sense? If I if I'm happy to dig into any of these concepts because it's really it's 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 a lot of nuance. Like, because a lot of people yeah. think, oh yeah, so you just rent somewhere that's cheaper, right? Is that is that it? Well, it's actually, no, it's actually not even that it, right? So let's just take a different scenario. Let's just say that Gabby and I were renting somewhere for $850 a week, right? Mm. Versus buying somewhere and paying $850 a week in, in, the, in, the, in the mortgage payments, right? Okay. Um, let's just say, so that's the same cash impact, right? But on one hand, I'll probably have more borrowing capacity, i.e. the one where I, where I don't have non-income producing debt than, than in the other. So you'll, you'll still end up better off. All things being equal, even if you keep the cash amount the same, you're mm. still going to end up better off by rent vesting. Now, the reason for that is if you take a million dollars worth of available debt, we'll call that your borrowing capacity. And if you were to go and invest that in, let's just for super simple terms, we'll say, a million dollars of cash flow positive property, which could be made up of two or three properties, right? Right. And it's producing more income than it uses and it can serve as its own debt. Now, this is not financial advice and you know, sure. go and speak to a mortgage broker and all of that kind of stuff. But in a general sense, you'll have your original million dollars borrowing capacity. You'll go buy a few properties. They're cash flow positive. No, you won't get all of your million dollars borrowing capacity back like magic, but you might extend that by maybe 50%. So that might allow you to then go buy maybe another, you know, $500,000 worth of property based on your borrowing capacity, right? And so, and that is because the debt you have got is actually producing an income mm. and producing a revenue yeah. stream, okay? And so therefore it's offsetting some of the costs and the banks will view that income that's coming in. They will assess that as income that's being attributed to the loan. Yeah. So just like you getting a second job or something like that, they'll say, oh, okay, cool. There's a bit more money coming in. Great. Awesome. Well, that means you can borrow a little bit more. You can borrow a little bit more. You can borrow a little bit more. Now the opposite happens when you buy a place that you, that isn't producing any income. They say, well, you've got a million dollars worth of debt. It's not making any money. Well, you've used up your debt. That's it. Yeah, okay. Unless right. something fundamentally changes, unless you get a pay rise or something yeah. like that, right? That's 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 the only way it changes. Okay. And, and another another aspect of that that you sort of 
alluded to, I guess, with the Bondi Beach thing is it's it, it's also if it suits, it can suit people for lifestyle choices, right? Like if you if you couldn't yeah. afford to buy a home in the place that you'd love to live, maybe it's close to your family or it's close to your friends or it's yeah. it's it's in a locality that you love, you could continue to live there and just look to invest in a place where your money would go the furthest and make you money off that debt. Is that sort of what you mean? Is that's another option, yeah. I guess? Yeah, yeah, bingo. You've, you've nailed it, right? Because here's the thing. There's like loads of different things you've got to think about. There's opportunity cost as well. So let's say the median house price is $955,000 now, which is just nuts, right? Yeah. So let's just say that, you know, you're, you want to live close to your family and your friends and, you know, the place that you grew up and all of this kind of stuff and you want to be there and, you know, you've got a whole life there. But let's just say the median house price is $955,000, right? In order to in order to be able to buy somewhere, you're going to need to save somewhere around there. You're going to need to save up a pretty chunky deposit. Mm-hmm. You're going to need to have pretty decent borrowing capacity. You know, it's not going to be, you're buying a million, you're basically buying a million dollar house. Yeah. Like, that's that's no that's no mean feat. If you're going to do that with a twenty percent deposit, look, if you're buying an owner occupier, you might be able to do five percent deposit or ten percent deposit or whatever. But for simple terms, let's say it's a million dollar house with a twenty percent deposit, that's two hundred grand. You've got to save up two hundred thousand dollars, right? If the average savings rate is about fifteen hundred bucks a month, that's going to be a long time for you yeah, to save up for the deposit. Mm. Yeah, totally. And by the time that's happened, the prices have gone up, and so you basically. Yeah, and so then you've got to save more and you're on this endless treadmill where you're just never going to get to where you want to go. Now, in a different kind of scenario, you may be able to rent in that location like we've sort of been talking about. Maybe you could rent in the location that is close to your family, close to your friends, close to your local sports club, in the community you like, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Maybe you could rent there for 500 bucks a week, right? So you could maybe rent there for 500 bucks a week and save, you know, 350 bucks a week Versus the eight fifty we established for a for a for a million dollar property, right? So if you save three hundred and fifty bucks a week, so you'd be able to start putting that away, and then potentially you'd be able to start investing sooner because mm. instead of trying to buy a million dollar property, maybe you could go and invest in a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar property or a three hundred thousand yeah. dollar property. Now the benefit of doing that is you're going to take your dollars and you're going to compound them, and so the speed at which you would be able to turn fifty thousand into two hundred thousand dollars is probably going to be about four or five times faster than if you're just trying to save your way to the $200,000 mark. So the the thing is like rent vesting is actually a shortcut to you getting to your dream home or getting to the home that you want to live in because you're going to actually use it to increase your wealth at a much, much faster rate than you could ever save using compounding, using leverage and using all of this kind of stuff. And you can do it in a way that is affordable and allows you to live the life that you want rather than, you know, moving to some far-flung outer suburb and dodgy neighborhood just so you can yeah. try and save a few extra bucks, right? And just to try and maybe try and save your way to wealth. So the rent vesting has got a bunch of benefits. So there's lifestyle benefits, but there's I actually really like the fact that it can actually help you to achieve your dream home faster. And this is the thing. It's like, you might actually want a $2 million dream home. So maybe, maybe you need, you know, $400,000 that you need to save up. Okay. Well, if you can use your money effectively to invest in the areas that you can afford to invest, which are probably not the places that you're going to want to live, right? Yeah. 
the places you can, not because they're bad places, not because they're full of crooks or drug addicts or anything like that, probably just because they're nowhere near where you want to be, right? Mm. So, but you can invest in areas in markets that are primed for growth, that are at the right part of the growth cycle, that are going to produce more income than they use. So that, that, that way it doesn't even cost you any money to hold them. In fact, you'll even get some additional surplus income, which you can reinvest. And so you can actually move, move way, 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 way faster. And so, right. you know, if you, if you were to save, if you were to save 1500 bucks a week uh, and you wanted to save up $200,000, let me just do some maths on that. Cause I think it'd be really interesting. You know, it'll take 133 weeks, sorry, 133 months to save up $200,000. Mm, that's a not long ideal. time. That's, yeah, that's, that's a basically, few years. That's, a, that's a while. <laughs> that's over 10 years, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, and so, by that time, the two million dollar house is probably not going to be worth two mil anymore. It might be. Ah, it's probably worth four, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. probably worth four, and so you're never going to get there now. But the but the smart way is if you can cut that time in half, or even a third, maybe. Right, but even if you just cut it in half, and if you said, well, actually, I can use real estate investing. I can choose to live wherever I want, whether it be Bondi or. Yamba or you know Upper Conductor West, it doesn't really matter, right? But you can use that time, use you live where you want, use your money to invest in the best locations and maybe achieve that that goal of your dream home, maybe in five years or maybe 10 years versus 10 or 20 years, right? And so I see it as a massive, massive shortcut. Now, there are times where rent vesting doesn't make sense as well. For sure. And we'll get before we get to that, real quick, did you make up upper com? Combuctor West, or is that a real place? I did. Oh, okay, I was going to say that'd be a sick <laughs> suburb. I'd live there, Upper Combuctor West. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. So, so yeah, we, uh, we've sort of gone through the benefits. Obviously, some of the the the, the times where maybe uh, rent vesting isn't the right option, we'll go through some of those. And you you sort of brought it up earlier too. With if you've maybe maybe if you've got a young family. Uh, renting might not be the right idea it might be a better better a better example for you to just get straight into a home because you're building a family quick but we'll go through that a bit if you want to yeah yeah i think there's i think there's a couple of scenarios right so there's nothing that says you can't raise a family in a rental property right it's absolutely no reason i know loads of people who raise their families in a rental property so just because you have a family doesn't mean mm. that rent vesting is not for you but humans are emotional creatures and everyone talk, who talks about investing and all of this kind of stuff. So oh, don't be emotional. Don't be emotional. That's rubbish. It's absolute rubbish. We're all emotional. The only reason anyone wants to invest is emotional because, because they want something better and they've got a vision for how they want their life to be. And they want to support their family better. It's all emotional. Okay. So if we own that for a minute, then it's totally cool. If for your own personal and emotional needs, it is more important for you to have a nest, right? Then it is for you to grow your wealth. As long as you make that decision, um, like with a high degree of mental clarity, then sweet, like no worries, mm. it's all good. The property you buy is, you know, probably still going to go up in value over time. But hey, I don't know. Like some pe some people have better success at that than others. Some people buy in places that don't grow very well and whatever, right? But that's not the point. The point is that you're buying something for you and your family, just like buying a car. Like you, I could easily argue that there's, you know, I'm probably the only real estate professional in Australia that doesn't drive some kind of 
you know, flash Mercedes, BMW, something like that. We're still drive, we're still driving Gabby's old, you know, Toyota Corolla because you know it's sweet. It gets us from if A to B. It gets you from A to so, B. Yeah, <laughs> totally. But totally. But for some people, it's really important that they have a nice car, and that's cool. Cool. Well, it's probably it's not the smartest financial decision because it's depreciating a depreciating asset. But if it's important to you and you do it with your eyes wide open, go for it. Fill your boots because life is about experience and it's for living and it's for living in absolutely your own terms. So I don't want anyone to make a mistake of going, oh, I'm doing the wrong thing. It's like, do whatever's good for you. Just make sure you own it. So if, if nesting is really important, then sweet, discuss it with your partner. Think about what's, think about the values. And, but, you know, I would personally argue that there's benefit in, um, a short-term sacrifice could be five years of rent vesting, even if you've got a family or, or are just starting a family. I would suggest there's more benefit in a short-term sacrifice to achieve a longer-term gain. That's what I would argue. But I've met plenty of people who disagree with me and that's okay. So it's fine. Now, another time where rent vesting might not make sense is if your desired place to live, right? If where you want to live, the, um, the, it is cheaper to own than it is to rent. That's when it's that's when it starts to become questionable. So if, for example, uh, you buy in a place where um, the cost of the mortgage is going to be two hundred and fifty bucks a week, um, but the cost of renting a similar place in the same area is three hundred bucks a week, right. you could argue that your day to day cash flow would be better off by buying in that location if that's where you really want to live. Now, that doesn't. Uh, that doesn't discount though the fact that if you did that, you would still be impacting your borrowing capacity negatively because you would have non-income producing debt. But there's an argument to say that if if day-to-day cash flow is is important and all of that kind of stuff, then then you could do that. Now, in that scenario, if you're talking about a $50 a week deficit, I would argue that you could spin that around, invest in properties that are going to produce enough positive cash flow to offset that deficit. So you wouldn't mm. need to worry about it anyway. So you'd end up, yeah, right. you know, putting an extra, putting an extra 50 bucks a week in your pocket to cover, cover the difference in rent and still investing in that uh, and still being able to use your money more wisely and be able to spread it further. Okay. Right. That was beautiful. I, I'm, I, I can't think of any other questions I had off the top of my head. I feel like we've covered basically everything I wanted to understand about it, <laughs> which is good. Um, if there's good. Any, yeah. Yeah. Anything you want to add? Yeah. I got nothing else for you, Goose. <laughs> no, that's okay. It's all good. Yeah. Like it's, it's like, it's a, it's a stupidly simple concept, but it's one yeah. that, but it's one that is full of deeper nuances that people, people like continuously miss. Mm. Like, and it's quite, and, and, and it's quite funny when you think about it, that like, you know, we could probably, we could upgrade, well, we could upgrade where we live and live in an even fancier apartment mm. uh, and still be financially better off than if we were to buy the part of the apartment we're currently in. And I think, you know, if your goal is to, you know, live life on your own terms, you know, cut back on work, spend more time doing the things you love, doing all that kind of stuff, it's something you've really, really got to consider. Like there's, and if you own a business, for example, and then you decide to work from home, but also uh, rent vest, then there's tax benefits, of course, not tax advice, go speak to your accountant, but there are benefits. There are loads of upside benefits uh, in doing that. Um, So I think it's something that everyone should definitely consider. And I would also say that, you know, 
the property investors that I know that go the fastest usually have rent vesting as, as a component or it has been a part of their strategy at some point. Uh, yeah. Not always, but, um, but, but often I would say that's a, that's a key factor. Where it's not a key factor, because obviously we have a lot of in- investors who own a principal place of residence, where it's not a key factor is when people have built up enough wealth or enough income to offset the downside of their principal place of residence. And there's another interesting strategy that you can look at if you do own a principal place of residence and you do have debt on that property and you want to use the equity out of it to fund your property investment portfolio, there's a whole nother strategy called debt recycling, which can actually help you to get the best of both worlds in that scenario too. So if you don't already own a principal place of residence, I would highly suggest to considering rent vesting. Um, If you own a principal place of residence and you're stuck, you're sort of like, you can't get enough debt to invest and you feel like you're not getting ahead, then I would suggest, hey, maybe consider like what would happen if you rented out your home? Would that be better or worse? What would that do if you're borrowing capacity? Could you go and rent somewhere else? What would that, would that actually unlock something for you? Is that some way right. that you might be able to get out of a bind? Um, but if you own a principal place of residence and everything's sweet, you've got plenty of borrowing capacity and capital, then I'm not suggesting that you'd pick up the family and yeah, you know, go, go, ca- go catch a rental city. in Bondi. Yeah, 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 exactly. You've got to do what works for you. And I, I think sure. there's another point to it too, which I really, really like. So there are a lot of, um, you know, Finfluencers, we'll call them financial influencers, generally speaking. And I guess this is more the traditional way of thinking is that, you know, to get ahead in life, you've got to scrimp and save and, you know, don't have your smashed avo on toast and, you know, mm. sacrifice now, benefit later. And, you know, they make it out like they make it out as though for your 20s and 30s, you've got to eat baked beans and, you know, don't never change your underwear because you can't, yeah. you know, like, they make it out like it's got to be this this totally you know you know yeah totally and inten- it's I've, it's, I've, it's brought out to be a very intensely sacrificial endeavor totally and i just yeah. think that, that is absolute rubbish i think it's absolute rubbish right so you don't know if you're going to die tomorrow next week next month next year decade we all hope that we're going to live for ages right but even if we live for ages i would rather live a life full of joy every day. And there's nothing wrong with sacrifice. Sacrifice is awesome. Sacrifice and discipline will get you everywhere that you want to go. Absolutely not downplaying that. Like you can't, you cannot get through this life without sacrifice and discipline. But I prefer to uh, live by a maxim of frugal hedonism. You know, if you can, you know, the place that we're in right now, we could live in a a more expensive place, but we don't need to because this serves our needs and it meets our lifestyle requirements without being excessive, right? There's a difference. But we're also not, you know, living somewhere way out west of Sydney because it's cheaper because we can save more money. No, we're here because it suits our desired lifestyle without being excessive. Now, with the additional additional money that we save um, by being here versus somewhere excessive or versus owning a place here or whatever, we can use that to go out for a few dinners in a week. You know, I love going, not right now because we're in lockdown, (laughs) but we but we love food. We love life. We love living, you know, like life is for living. You know, you want to go and take a boat trip, take a boat trip, you know, have fun. You want to go buy some new clothes, go buy them, have fun. You know, like every day should be enriched and full of joy. And I don't think that that has to be at the compromise of your personal wealth journey. Yes. You need to be sensible. Yes. You need a savings plan. 
Yes, you need a strategy, but that does not mean that you need to live a sacrificial life where you need to do without. You can have it all. I believe rent vesting is one of the keys to being able to make that happen. Beautiful, for sure. And before we end it, I feel really bad for, what's his name? Is it Bernard Salt? Bernard Salt? Because he'll never Mm. live down that smashed Avo thing. (laughs) It made him famous though, right? It did did blow him up. there's some upside to it. Is I think the I think I think the upside is better than the downside for Bernie. Yeah, okay, so. that's worth it. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Well, yeah, Goose. If <laughs> if anybody wanted to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Yeah, just head to dashdot.com.au. Um, yeah, the kind of people who you know look, reach out to us if you want anything. Oh, in fact, I would actually say if you're interested in this and also other topics and you want to learn, if you listen to a podcast, head to theinvestorlab.com.au because that's our podcast. Um, you know, we're, we're about 120 episodes in at this stage. It's going strong. There's loads of good content on there. I'd suggest going there first. And then if you like what you hear, and if you feel like that, um, you know, maybe you're someone who wants to talk to us about whether we can help you, then, then there's plenty of opportunities to reach out, just head to the websites, but yeah, go to the investorlab.com.au, check out the podcast, go from there. You're going to love it. Beautiful. Thanks again, Goose. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Speak to you soon.